We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. The book of Acts chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 54, Acts 7 and 54. When you have it, just shout, I got it. Amen. Y'all quick. Who won the who won the Bible sword drill? Fast. If you don't have it, that's fine. We got it for you. We should have it for you. <laughs> hey, you see, they fast in the back. Acts 7, 54. Kind of where we ended last week in the book of Acts. We've been studying the book of Acts for the last three or four Wednesday nights. I've kind of forgot now how many Wednesday nights we've been doing this. Um, but it's taking us some time because it's really good. Kind of get, get held up a little bit. Acts 7, beginning in verse 54. The Bible says this, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We ask you that you would speak to us through your word, that you would grow us, you would mature us, you would teach us. We could learn tonight, Lord, and I pray that you would help us tonight, not only be just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word also, that it sink into our spirit and touch our hearts. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. The church said amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me tonight. Amen. I'm excited to get into the word tonight. As you uh, may have been here last week, we kind of ended with this story of the first martyr. The first martyr in the early church was Stephen. And um, a lot of things will happen after this point, And the church will come under great scrutiny and will come under great tyranny. But at, up to this point, there's just, been, uh, uh, there's just been some anger, some angst against the disciples and the apostles and this thriving, growing church that's been growing. It's been taking over cities. It's been taking over everything. Everybody's in the church now. The church is growing. We see it several different times in just in our last, in the last seven chapters where at, at certain times, thousands of people at a time will be converted. 5,000, 3,000, 10,000. The church is growing by thousands. And so at this point, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're just, uh, just kind of letting it happen. We see this a couple times in the earlier chapters that we read where the Pharisees say to themselves and the Sadducees and the rulers of that time, they say to themselves, maybe we shouldn't do anything about this. Maybe we shouldn't try to quell this. Maybe we shouldn't try to shut this down because we don't want the people to turn against us because it seems like everybody's loving this, that, that, that this is really happening and there is a great revival breaking out and we don't want to turn the people against us. And so they, they kind of let the apostles do what they're doing. Uh, and we see going all the way back to Acts chapter 4 
where they tell him, say, listen, you guys can continue to do what you're doing. However, if you would don't mind, don't do this in the name of Jesus. You can preach, you can heal, you can do all those good things, but just don't do it in the name. Leave the name out of it. And um, we, we know that that spirit is still alive in the world today. Ain't nobody caring if we're religious. Ain't nobody caring if we're having church. But when we say that, that, that this is the name and it's the only way, it's the truth, the light, the way, that, that's when people start getting upset. Uh, you, with us, there, there's more ways. No, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so at this point, there's been no really pushback from the leaders. But now, um, and if you, if you do a little bit of history here, because the scripture doesn't, doesn't get super explicit on exactly what's happening in this moment. But if you do a little history here, the Sadducees and Pharisees have now started doing what they did with Jesus. They've got Rome involved. And they're asking Rome to help them. They've, 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 they used Rome to kill Jesus. They're all under Roman law right now. They're all under Roman rule. And so now they're using Rome again to kind of help them and they've gone to the publicans. And the chief publican at this time is a man by the name of Saul. We get introduced to Saul in Acts chapter 7. And the Bible says that while they're stoning this young man, they take off their coats, probably so they can get some, you know, they can get some room to throw these stones, and they lay their coats down at Saul's feet. That's our first introduction to this young man by the name of Saul. But chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, if you want to turn there with me, in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we kind of see Saul's position, and we see the importance of Saul, because Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says this, and Saul was consenting unto his death. So Saul is the one who consented that this would happen. It was kind of under his, his guise. It was uh, Saul was a Jew, right? He is a Jew by blood, but he's a Roman citizen. And at this point, he works for Rome, but he's a Jew. He's what the Sadducees and Pharisees would call a publican, a person who has Jewish blood, but who works for Rome and is a Roman citizen. And so this is who Paul is at the moment. He's working for Rome, but he's also a Jew, and he's consenting unto Stephen's death. Saul has put his stamp of approval on this. Like, he approves the hit. If you know anything about mafia, you know, you just can't be hitting somebody. you got to have approval to hit somebody. And Saul is the guy who gives the approval. Saul is consenting unto this moment. Like, Saul's cool with this. He's okay to let this happen. And at that time, the Bible would tell us in Acts 8 and verse 1 again, at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles are able to stay in Jerusalem because they're a small group of them, 12 to be exact. Those leaders, they stay in, in Jerusalem, but everybody else, all the disciples, all the people on the outskirts, all the nefarious people who are uh, just on the outer, you know, just getting in the church, leaders in the church, uh, and, and, and we'll see this in, the, uh, in, 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 in coming up here that one of the people who go out is just the, one of the guys who they put over serving tables for the widows in the previous chapters. So except the apostles, everybody's been pushed out into Samaria and into Judea. Remember those two things, Samaria and Judea. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, verse 2, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. This, this death of Stephen now emboldened Saul 
and emboldens his push to quell this whole Jesus thing. So now he begins to wreak havoc on the church, entering into every house. Imagine this. Not, not just churches, not just places of a meeting. Saul is entering into people's houses. Like, hey, probably turning neighbor against neighbor. Hey, I heard they had a Bible study over here last night. They had this. Paul would go into people's houses using his power given to him by Rome. And he's snatching people out of their houses and helling men and women, committing them to prison. Verse 4, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. If you do a little history on this, you'll see that this is probably during the time Rome was using Christian people for sport. These people that Saul was putting in prison, the Roman government was using these. Now, imagine this. The Sadducees and Pharisees are allowing this to happen. They have the power to shut this down. They can say to Rome, hey, we don't want this. They have that kind of power. But they're allowing it to happen because these aren't Jews. These are, quote, unquote, Christians. And there's great persecution against the church. And Rome is using these Christians that are being put in prison to bring it to the middle of their stadiums and for, for people to pay money to come see these Christians be eaten by wild dogs. And this is all history. You can look all this up. They, they put them in the middle of, and people come and pay and they buy popcorn and they buy drinks and they watch Christians be killed by gladiators and they watch Christians be eaten by wild animals and they watch Christians be burned at the stake and it is, it is, it is, a, it is a sport. It's fun. It's, hey, we, hey what are y'all doing today? Man, I think we're going to take the kids down and see the Christians get killed. That's literally what's happening in Rome at this time. So it's not just we're being, we're being put in prison. It's not just that we're, you know, that we're going through some trouble here. I mean, this is persecution. They are being persecuted for his name's sake. If they weren't Christians, this would not be happening. This is not just happening to religious people. This is not just happening to people that have a belief system. This is happening to people who believe in Jesus and they are scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching the word. It's so good because what, what we know behind the scenes is that God has to get his church out because there's a great revival that needs to happen. And, and this, this part of Acts chapter 8 is always a good reminder for us that when persecution comes into our life, and it may look differently than what it looked like for them in that day, but trouble and trial and pain that comes into our world sometimes pushes us out of our comfort zone and gets us to do things for God that we would not have done if we were in a comfortable place. Somebody said amen. amen. Sometimes the uncomfortability of our situation puts us in places where we really start doing something for God because we're uncomfortable. Amen? So they went everywhere preaching the word. Watch verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now who's Philip? Is Philip a disciple? No. Philip an apostle? No. Who's Philip? Philip is a young man who they put over serving tables for the widows. He's a servant who God's about to use to start a revival. So good. I talked a little bit about this last week. Let me just tag into this again. The two men who really started revival, Stephen the first martyr and Philip the first revival, both of these men, they were not apostles. They were not in the inner circle. These were men that the disciples got together and said, you know what, we need people to go and serve these widows because we're too busy with God's word. 
and two of the men that they sent out to serve, one becomes the first martyr, and the second one becomes the first revivalist, Philip the evangelist. Amen. Y'all can run the aisles later on that. Amen. Because you might not think that you're doing anything for God, but God may have a plan that you can't see yet. Maybe God has a plan that you haven't fully figured out yet. Maybe, maybe God's working behind the scenes because he has you in a place and not many days hence, God has something great for you to do. Amen? Anybody with me tonight? All right. Philip is the first revivalist. He preaches Christ unto them. Watch verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, verse 6 is, is really important because what, Samaria is so ready for this word. They're not just ready for it. Watch what the Bible says. The people with one accord, I mean everybody. The Bible is going to tell us here in just a few moments that everybody gets baptized. I mean the whole city. Samaria, when Samaria hears the message of Jesus, they are unanimously converted. Why? Why is Samaria so ripe? Because what, if you haven't been paying attention in the New Testament, you have to go back. There's a seed planted in Samaria. Why? Why is there a seed planted in Samaria? Because years before this moment, I'm talking years, at least what we know, probably close to 10 to 15 years before this moment, Jesus walks into Samaria and sits down at a well, talks to a woman. He says, give me water. She said, you have nothing to draw from. He said, lady, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask him for water. She begins a religious debate with him, and he doesn't even try to debate her. He just tells her, you don't even know what you're worshiping. And she said, well, uh, I would, but, but, but I, I don't have no husband. He said, you're right. You had five husbands, and the one you with now, he ain't, he, he ain't even your husband. She goes to the city. She tells the people, come, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. The Bible says they come out, and they hear Jesus. And the Bible says many believe that day, not for the woman's word, but because they heard Jesus for themselves. There's been a revival brewing in Samaria for years. Never, never doubt the power of a seed sown somewhere. Philip shows up in Samaria. He thinks he's really doing something. He comes in there, preaches one message about Jesus, and the whole city says, we've been waiting for you. My, my, my. You see, you never know who's waiting to hear about Jesus. Jesus had already had a plan. Jesus had already sowed the seed. Here's what I want you to know is that me and you will never know the seeds that Jesus has already sown in people's lives. And all the seed needs is a word. Yeah, amen. Listen, that's why, that's why the book of Hebrews would tell us that we should entertain, we should entertain strangers 
because we entertain angels unaware. But also because when you entertain strangers and you tell people about Jesus, you may not know that you're tapping into a field that Jesus already had a seed in before you ever showed up. Paul will say it like this later on in the New Testament. He'll say, this one right here, he sowed. This one right here, he watered. But God does the increase. Amen? And, and Philip is about to walk into a great revival that has already started without him even knowing who Jesus was. And the people gave heed one accord to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many. They were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Watch verse eight. I want you to put a pin in verse eight. And there was great Joy in that city. Somebody shout joy. But there was a certain man named Simon called Simon who before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed. They all, they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Somebody say joy. joy. Somebody say conversion. conversion. And somebody say baptism. baptism. Mm. All this is happening in Samaria. They've received healing. We know that everybody who needed a healing got a healing. Everybody got baptized. The Bible even is going to tell, the Bible even is going to tell us that Simon gets baptized, the witch. I mean, you know you have a revival when the witch is getting in the water. Amen. They, they, there's great joy, there's healing, there's baptism, there's conversion. People are leaving this thought of Simon being a sorcerer and a witch. They're leaving those things and they're, and they're tagging into this thing of Jesus. They're believing Jesus is being preached. Many of them, probably family members, or were actually there when Jesus was sitting by that well speaking to them. This is a seed sown in the past, and they're all believing. They're believing in Jesus. They're receiving uh, healing. There's great joy in the city, and there is great conversion. Now, if, the, if this was happening in 2022, the preacher would leave now. The preacher would be like, man, my job is done here. We've had healing. We've had signs and wonders. We've had baptism. We're good. This is it. This is all they need. They've believed. They've received. And they've been baptized. And there's joy. And that's it, man. Good job. Let's go to the next city. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. Watch verse 12. But they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When Simon himself believed also... 
And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, like, like as an apostolic preacher who believes in the apostolic doctrine, we have to stop right here and put a pin in this. And we have to say to one another, what did they need extra? They had joy. They had healing. They believed. They had conversion. And they had baptism. What else did they need? Because if I baptize you right now, you would think that's enough because I believed on Jesus. I believed on Jesus and I got baptized. I'm saved. I got everything I need. And, and, and you know what? And my body was healed. So I'm good. My body was healed. I got so much joy. I'm so happy because I believed on Jesus and I was baptized in Jesus' name. So I'm good. I'm out. God bless. I don't need nothing else. Well, if that's true, then Peter or John should have stayed in Jerusalem. Am I making sense to anybody right now? There was something that needed to happen. They had baptism. They had miracle signs and wonders, healing, conversion, and joy. But they did not have the Holy Ghost. You think the writer of Acts was lying? Watch verse 16. The only reason they're coming, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. How? How do we know that? They had joy. Isn't, isn't joy the sign of the Holy Ghost? Isn't healing the sign of the Holy Ghost? Isn't baptism, you know, when I'm baptized, I know I got the Holy Ghost because I got baptized. If that's true, Acts 8 and 16 don't, don't belong here. We can just wrap it up and roll on. But Acts 16 is telling us that they had joy, they were healed, they were baptized, but they had not yet received it. He had felt on none of them. They believed, but he hadn't fell on them. They were baptized, but he hadn't fell on them. Mm. Then, verse 17, then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. How do we know they received the Holy Ghost? I don't, you know, because Acts chapter 8 doesn't give us a specific moment. I mean, he laid hands on them and they received it, but what did that look like? How did they know they received it? Hang out with me. Hang out with me. Hang out with me in the book of Acts. Because in this moment, we're going to find out how they knew. We're going to find out how they knew because it's here. Here's the thing with the Bible. You cannot read a chapter and, and make a belief system out of a chapter. You don't, you don't, you don't follow the, the, the moment. You follow the story. Right? We, it, it is very unwise to put a pen in the Bible and say this is the whole Bible. And this is everything that we believe about it. It is very unwise to say that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's it is unwise to put a pen in that verse and say, this is it. You just believe on him and that's it. It's done. 
It's unwise. That's like giving me a slice of bread and telling me that you gave me the whole loaf. That's a piece of it. That ain't the whole thing. And, 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 and this moment in chapter 8 is what happened. Because they were baptized, that wasn't enough. They were healed, that wasn't enough. They believed, that wasn't enough. They had joy, great joy in the city. That wasn't enough. They had to come and lay hands on them. And then they received the Holy Ghost. Watch verse 18. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. What, what did Simon see? What, what was special? What, what, what action happened here? What, what was Simon trying to get? What was he trying to pay for? When he saw that they received the Holy Ghost, through the laying on of the hands, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands on may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Hold up. How could his heart not be right? He, was, he believed, and he was baptized. Time out. Wait a minute, because I thought once you got joy, and once you believed, and once you got baptized, you was good. Nay, nay. He said, your heart is not right. Repent of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Whew, that's hard words. Then answered Simon and said, pray ye the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go forward, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to the, this chariot. Now I want to stop right here and put a pen here because I want you to know that Philip just left a great revival of many, many people that he was responsible for. Philip went to Samaria, preached Jesus, and the whole city got saved. But God said, now I want you to go to the desert. Sometimes, your calling looks like a city, but sometimes your calling looks like a desert. And here's the deal. Me and you both better realize that God doesn't always keep us in the crowd. But sometimes he brings us to the individual because the revival of the desert is going to be way bigger than the revival of Samaria. Okay. Are you with me there? That's a good message. That'll preach. And he said, how can I... Um, and Philip ran thither to him in verse 30, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come upon, come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. 
the, the, the eunuch is reading Isaiah, and he's reading this portion of, of prophecy from Isaiah, and he says to Philip, he said, who's he talking about? Is, is, is Isaiah talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And just, if you haven't been paying attention, the first message ever preached by Peter, he preached Jesus. Peter and John by the gate, they preached Jesus. Philip came to Samaria, he preached Jesus. The message of the New Testament is not Acts 2.38. That's the altar call of the New Testament. The message of the New Testament is Jesus. And if you've been here on Sunday, you know he's our high priest. That's the message, is Jesus. He preaches Jesus to him. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Watch this. I don't see anywhere in this scripture where Philip told this man that he needed to be baptized. He just preached Jesus. You see, the response to Jesus is, what do I got to do? That's the response. Peter preaches Jesus, and the men say, what shall we do? Philip preaches Jesus, and they get healed, and they get in the water. Philip preaches Jesus to the eunuch from the same scripture he's reading, and he says, hey, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now later on, you're going to hear about Caesarea Philippi. Because God has a place prepared. First, chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he found, and, and that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished, saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. And it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Now this is an amazing story here because Saul is struck with blindness on the road to Damascus. Here's what happened. Saul is qualified and he is legally within his right to handle all the Christians in his zone. He goes to the high priest. Remember, he's working for Rome. So Rome is telling him what he can and can't do. He goes to the high priest now and gets another stamp that he can go outside of those walls and start getting Christians from other places because now everybody's ran away. So now he's trying to go outside of his zone. 
He's trying to go outside of his territory and get all the Christians from everywhere. And when he's on his way, on his way to Damascus, God hits him. God said, hey, I was okay with you doing this in Jerusalem because I needed you to get him out of Jerusalem. But you're not going no further than this. Woo, hallelujah. He struck with blindness. And watch this. The men that were with him, they're speechless because they can hear God talking to Saul. They were speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Woo. Can you imagine being one of Saul's, like, guys, one of his servants hanging out with Saul, and all of a sudden this booming voice from heaven comes, Saul's on the ground, paralyzed, can't see, and you just hear a voice, this is Jesus. Hold up. Maybe these people are right. And Saul rose up from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. Now, you're always going to see three days, directional fast, all throughout the Bible. Three days is a directional fast. He fasts for three days. He can't see for three days. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise. And go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. <laughs> Ananias is like, Lord, I hear you. But Saul's a bad dude. Lord, I hear your call for me to go do this thing, but I'm scared. Paul, Saul at this time, is a bad man. And here, verse 14, he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on, it, on thy name. He said now, you know, it, it, he, his territory was just Jerusalem a little while ago. But now he's in Damascus and the high priest has given him authority here now. I, I, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be taken into the stadium and be eaten by wild dogs. And the Lord said unto him, go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Listen, this is a good lesson right here. You cannot put God in a box. Mm. And you can't put who God will use in a box neither. Because <laughs> the Lord will use whoever he wants. There's probably somebody right now doing drugs not five miles from here, but God has a plan for their life, and they're going to walk through this door. Come on, somebody. We can't put God in the box, and we can't put who God is about to use in the box either. God can use anybody at any time. He said, Paul is going to do a great work for me among the Gentiles. He's going to be talking to kings. He's going to bring in the children of Israel because I'm going to show him how great things. He must suffer for my name. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee in the way thou hast camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. My God. 
He got healed and filled at the same time. Woo, hallelujah. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Can you imagine that being a disciple? Running from your life from Saul, and now he's sitting at your table eating, talking about how good God is. <laughs> Hold up, people. Wait a minute. Billy, you got to get over here, bro. You're not going to believe who I'm eating dinner with right now. This man is in my house. Uh, and straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogue, that he is the son of God. Can you imagine being the guy who had hired Saul to take care of Christians? And you show up to the synagogue, and the guy you hired to take care of Christians is a Christian talking about Jesus is the Son of God, and you're thinking, my, they got to him too. Ain't nobody safe in these streets. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled and Jews took counsel to kill him. He became the enemy. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day by day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down, in, down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. It was in Damascus. They believed him in Damascus because they saw the conversion. But when he came home to Jerusalem, he's the baddest man on the planet right now. And the disciples couldn't believe it. They said, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and they believed not that he was a disciple. Watch verse 27. God give us all the spirit of Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the, also to the saints which dwell in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Enos, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Enos, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt in Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms seeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. For as much as Lydia, as, as, for as much as Lydia 
was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the windows stood by weeping and sewing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while, he was, while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up and he gave her his hand and lifted her up and when he had called the saints and widows presented her alive and it was known all throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner Acts chapter 10 and I, I got about 10 more minutes I'm going to be done Acts 10 there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man. I want you to, want you to hear all of this. He is a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he had looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is living in a house with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. You can't tell me that God can't put people in the right place at the right time. All this stuff happened with Peter to get him into Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house because God had to work all those miracles to get Simon in Simon's house. There's two Simons. One's named Peter and one's a Tanner. All right? Two Simons in the same house. Got him in the same house because Cornelius is about to have a face-to-face -face with the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord is sending him down to Simon's house to meet Simon. Not the same Simon, two Simons. <laughs> And when the angel of the Lord spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up into the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry, and he would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. He fell into a trance. He's hungry. He's on the rooftop praying. He falls into this trance. And he saw the heaven open, and a certain vessel descended unto him. It's like a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein, this like big net let down. He's seeing this vision. This big net is let down to him on the rooftop. And there's all manner, watch this, of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. And then a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's a good Jewish boy. Right? And Peter's a good Jewish boy, and he's followed the law since he was a child, and he has never eaten a four-footed animal or a four-hoofed beast. He has never eaten wild beasts. He has never eaten creeping things. And he has never ate fowls of the air. Because those things 
according to his dietary laws, are unclean things. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's proud of it. I've ne- and I ain't never, not one time, broke the dietary laws of my fathers. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that called not thou common. This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So the animals aren't real. It's just a trance. Peter's hungry. God lets down this net of food, but it's unclean things. And he tells Peter, he's, go eat this. And he's like, I'm not eating it. It's, it's unclean. Three times this happens. Three times God tries to get Peter to eat this thing, but he's like, I've never eaten an unclean thing. And he said, listen, if I called it clean, it's clean. And if I called it clean, don't you dare call it common. Yeah. It was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Watch 17. Now, while Peter doubted in himself that this vision which he had seen, what it should mean, while he's like, what is God talking about? Eat the unclean thing. Come on now. What, what did I eat earlier? What's in this water? Something's wrong here. But while he's doubting in himself and he's trying to figure out what this means, behold, the men that were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men, and they sent to him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. Uh, what is the cause? Why, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. What do you need? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Peter's, Peter brought his homies with him. So we're going to go down here to Cornelius' house. Now, some theologians, I'll just tie this in right here. Some, some people like to believe that Cornelius was the centurion that came to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go to your house and heal him. And the centurion said, no, you don't need to come to my house. I know authority. And if you just speak the word, he'll be healed. So some people believe that Cornelius is the same guy who is now higher up in the military and the soldier whom he sends to Peter is the servant who needed to be healed. That preacher's good, but I don't know for sure. Amen. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshiped him. Peter took him up saying, hey, stand up. I myself also am a man. You don't need to worship me. I'm a man as well. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many that were come together. Cornelius had called his family together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter figured it out. 
Peter realizes now what those animals were all about. He's seeing now. He's figured it out. It's all making sense to Peter. He's like, okay, now, now I know why God gave me three visions before I met three men to come meet an Italian to preach Jesus' name unto him. Yeah. He said, I, I, I understand. Uh, God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You know that this is not even against, this is against the law for a Jew to keep company with another nation. But God showed me that I shouldn't call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came unto you without gainsaying. As soon as I was sent for, I asked, therefore, what intent have ye have sent for me? What, what, what do you want? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are and." And thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. I immediately therefore, immediately therefore, I send unto thee, and thou hast well done, and you've come. Now therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God, is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh the righteousness is accepted with him. And the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Peter, Peter, Peter right to the message. That word I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew. They hung him on a tree. This is the gospel. Peter's preaching the gospel. Jesus came. God manifests in the flesh did great works among us, and they killed him. They slew him and they hung him on the tree, 40, verse 40. God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly. He, he came, he died, he rose again. That's the good news. Amen. This, this is how we still got to preach in the church today. Jesus came, God manifested in the flesh, dwelt among us. They killed him, they hung him on a tree. And three days later, he got up. Not to all people, but unto witnesses, chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that that is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. To, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall see remission of sins. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. I, I've been praying, Lord, give me that Peter anointing that I don't even got to get to an altar call. I can just, I can just right in the middle of my message, people just start receiving healing. People just start receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I mean, Peter is in the middle of his message and the Holy Ghost falls. Now here, this is the spirit of anticipation. This is the power of the spirit of expectation. 
Cornelius had called his whole family. God told me this man was about to tell us something and we about to hear something. And their spirit of anticipation and their spirit of expectation set their hearts on edge. Their hearts had scooted up in the seat. They were ready to go. And when they heard the good news that Jesus came, he bled and died and he rose again and he's alive and well today, they received the Holy Ghost. They just got it. They got it. Uh. <laughs> when Peter, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews that were with Peter, which believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do we know? How do we know they got the Holy Ghost? How, how, how did they know they got it? Because, because the religious world today will tell you that there is no outward sign of the Holy Ghost. You get it in your heart. There's no outward sign. You just believe in your heart, you're baptized, and you got it. No outward sign of the Holy Ghost. But how did they know in chapter 8? And how did they know in chapter 10? The Bible's about to tell us. Let me read verse 45 again. And they of the, the Jews which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? They got it like we got it. Now listen, any church that will tell you that you don't need it like they got it, I wouldn't go to that church. Hold up, time out. I'm not, I'm not dogging nobody. I'm just telling you. I wouldn't go to a church that says it was good enough for the disciples, it was good enough for the Samaritans, and it was good enough for the Italians, but it ain't good enough for you. The devil is a lie. If they got it, I want it. I, listen, I don't want a 2022 watered-down version of the Holy Ghost. Give it to me like you gave it to them. Come on, somebody. I want to see what they saw, so I got to do what they did. That's why we're apostolic, because we believe the whole apostolic doctrine, not just a little bit, not just a little here and there. No, give it to me like they got it. That's what Peter's saying. Peter is saying, man, they got it like we got it. We ought to baptize them in the water. That's how they knew in Acts chapter 8 that they had received the Holy Ghost, not because they had joy, not because they had healing, and not because they'd been baptized. It's because they spoke with new tongues. And they spoke with new tongues in verse 46 of Acts 10. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Stay with us. Stay with us. Come on, Peter, stay with us. Because for them, the Holy Ghost wasn't enough. We need, we need more. We've, we've repented. We've heard the good news. We've been baptized. And we've been filled. Now here's what they'll try to tell you. Is if you're a good person, you're getting in. Here's what they'll try to tell you. If, you. if you pray every day, you're getting in. Here's what they'll try to tell you. If you, if you feed the poor, you're getting in. But Cornelius prayed every day, feared the Lord. The Bible says was a good man. And 
He gave alms to the poor. All of those things brought him up before God. God saw those things. Can I tell you that those things you're doing are fantastic. You need to keep doing them. Everybody ought to do them because those are the things that will bring you up before the Lord. But when you get brought up before the Lord, the Lord has a plan for you. Repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the plan, always been the plan. Because those steps are how you obey the gospel. He bled and died on Calvary's hill, and that blood is for my repentance. And he, they put him in the tomb, and that tomb is my death burial. And when I come out of that water, I receive the Holy Ghost, and that's my resurrection. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always going to be. Don't give me another version and tell me it's this version. No, I want it like they got it. How did they get it? That's how I want it. How did it happen in here? Don't tell me how it happened down the street. I don't want to know about that. Tell me how it happened in here. I want to know from the word of God how it happened. And don't tell me, well, I got joy in my heart, so you know I got the Holy Ghost. Did you speak in new tongues? Did you receive it like they received it? And here's the deal. I'm not trying to judge nobody. I'm just telling you, if I was you, I, I wouldn't want it no other way. Well, 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 this book, well, you know, with these theologians, where the, no, 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 stop. If I'm going to get it, I want to get it like everybody in the New Testament got it. I don't, I, I don't want what the church down the street is selling. I don't want what this denomination is selling. Are they good people? God bless them. Yes, they are. I'm not, I, that's, not, that's not what the debate is about here. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm telling you is if we're going to be book of Acts people, then let's preach the whole book of Acts and let's do the whole book of Acts. That's what we're going to be. Somebody said amen. And if you got the Holy Ghost in this room right now, you ought to be excited. Thank God I got it. I got it. Yes, I got it. I got it. Yes, I got it. There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I got it. Well, let me tell you one thing. I can explain it, actually. I can tell you that you need to go down in the name of Jesus. You need to repent of your sins. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, he'll come in speaking for himself. Somebody said amen. Yes, Lord, I got it. Yes, I got it. You need it. Yes, you need it. Stay with me. Whoo, you can't preach about the Holy Ghost and not get excited. It's good. It's good. It's good. There's a few things, a couple of pins that I put in this, in this lesson tonight, and I want you to remember those pins. One of those pins is the spirit of Barnabas. Be ready for the New Testament to talk about Barnabas. Barnabas was a man who had the gift of connection. He had the gift of, see, Barnabas was in Damascus. And Barnabas knew that Paul was truly converted. And it took a Barnabas to bridge the gap. There's a bridge named Barnabas who connected Paul, who, whose name has not really been changed yet. He's still Saul. But he connected them to the apostles. And another pen here I want you to see is that Peter realizes that God is not respecter of persons. And Peter has to be convinced by God that 
It's his will for these people to receive it just like I received it. And this is bigger than a Jewish thing. But this is whosoever will. Anybody, everybody, whosoever will come to the waters that still flow. Amen. And that connection between chapter 8 and chapter 10 of them coming because as of yet the Holy Ghost had fell on none of them. They'd repented, they'd been baptized, they'd had healing in the body, but what else needed to happen? And then 10 kind of connects us with that, that the Jews that were with Peter said, hey, we, we saw it like you saw it. They picked, I mean, how can you deny what we saw? They got it like we got it. The day I got it, I got it just like that. That's how I want it. But that's how I pray that God pours it out in this church. I pray every week that God pours his Holy Ghost out in this assembly. Amen. And listen, listen to me. You don't need to be ashamed one moment of your life to say, you know what? I'm a tongue talker. When I got the Holy Ghost, I spoke. You don't need to be ashamed because, listen, this religious world today will tell you, oh, that's crazy. How can it be crazy if I got scripture for it? And they'll say, no, tongues have ceased. We don't speak in tongues no more because tongues have ceased. And they're referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Go read that for yourself. He's not talking about that. He's not. And if you want to really believe that he's not talking about, read chapter 13, which is the love chapter, and then go to the next chapter, which is chapter 14, when Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. He said, I just don't do it at church when I'm talking to somebody because that's foolish. It ain't for that. He said, don't be talking in tongues all the time. When people come in the door, they're going to think you're crazy because you need to have the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Yeah. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Yes, sir. Thank you, Paul, for helping us with that because we were just going to do it all the time. Right? We were just going to use that thing every time we had a chance. You can't be in the McDonald's checkout and be talking in tongues. You're not going to get no hamburger. You might get arrested. <laughs> Amen. It's all in the book. We're not confused. God didn't leave us wondering, what, what, what's this all about? No, no, no. That's the religious world will do that to you. You watch some crazy YouTube video on the backside of YouTube. You're like, oh, man, I don't know about all that. Man, pick up your Bible and read that thing. Because if, what happens is the Bible will leave breadcrumbs. It'll leave crumbs all the way. But when you put all them crumbs together, it's a whole loaf. And you, oh, I see it now. But don't, don't take one of them crumbs and tell me that's everything that God has planned for me. No, sir. There's a whole book here that God has planned out. That's a good word. One more time. Would you lift your voice? And... We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.